0: Episode of Chasing the Unicorn. During the next two weeks, in collaboration with the Healthcare Club of London Business School, we're organizing a series of health focused interviews. We'll be interviewing the finalists of the Health Tech Challenge, a competition of early stage startups. Out of 35 participants, six startups have been selected based on the technical feasibility of the idea, the potential impact for non met health need, the feasibility of the execution plan, and the skills and expertise of each team. The final will take place on the twenty-sixth of May, and a prize of ten thousand pounds will go to the winning team. So today, I'm interviewing Mihika, Jason, and Anson from PDFeed. Thank you for being with us. Could you please uh, introduce yourselves?
1: Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm Mihika. I'm the CEO of PDFeed, and I'm a current graduate student at Johns Hopkins University.
2: Hi, I'm Jason, I'm the current CFO and like Mahika, I'm also a graduate student at
3: Johns Hopkins. Um, hi everyone, my name is Anson. Uh, I'm the director of business development at PDFeed, and I'm a rising junior at Johns Hopkins and we're all studying biomedical engineering.
0: Thank you guys. So um, for our audience that might not know about Feed, could you explain the, the overview of the problem you're trying to solve with, uh, with this idea?
1: Sure. So we are designing a novel feeding tube for neonates and infants ages zero to two years who have severe feeding dysfunction. And typically people with severe feeding dysfunction require long-term feeding assistance, which is defined as the need for assisted feeding for longer than three months. And the gold standard of that feeding assistance tends to be something called the gastrostomy tube or G-tube. It's a feeding tube that goes directly through the stomach in or through the gastric wall into the stomach. So it bypasses the upper respiratory tract. And We are designing so current um, G tubes tend to be faced with severe complication rates postoperatively, they tend to have uh, really high displacement rates 22% of cases face displacement within three months of placement and displacement is also associated with several other complications, including gastric leakage which occurs in 12% of cases. Um, the need to return to the hospital, either for replacement procedures or emergent care. And this disruption in feeding can result in drastic impairments later in life, because again, these are children within the first two years of life. It's a really critical stage of development. So we are attempting to mitigate displacement with these tubes um, in order to provide um, secure quality of care for these children.
0: That's very impressive. And uh, so how did you get this, this idea?
1: Yeah. So we um, we were first approached by Dr. Karun Sharma, the head of pediatric IR at Children's National Hospital. Um, it's a children's hospital in DC. And he was explaining to us how his patients, current children with feeding dysfunction, were not receiving the care that they needed. Um, we noticed that the most common tube on the market, known as the balloon button, it uses an internal retention mechanism that holds it to the gastric wall that Um, requires inflation with water. So it tends to displace really easily. That water tends to leak out. And that causes again leakage, displacement, and frequent hospital readmission rates. So we decided to innovate on that internal retention mechanism because currently there are there's one alternative that doesn't replace uh, or that doesn't displace as frequently, but it's not used commonly. It's known as the non balloon button, and it's really painful for the child, really difficult to place, and can't be placed at home by parents. So we um, we spent a lot of time ideating on how to improve the internal retention mechanism I think we were in the library one day it was raining and so we came up with kind of an umbrella mechanism and that's um, that's the basic mechanism behind our novel internal retention
0: how do you plan to make revenue I guess it's just selling for profit to hospitals
2: yeah so that's our initial plan so I think we're really lucky in being students at Johns Hopkins and having a partner at Children's National, so there's two of the largest pediatric hospitals in the states, and so we want to start off with just B two B selling to different hospitals, and we already started talking to various different sales cycles, employees to learn about like how hospital sales cycles works, and later on, after we've grown a better foundation of like having these businesses, these kids and children, and the parents already know about our product, then we'll, then we're going to move to a more B two C format.
0: Okay, thank you, um, and so how how far are you in the development of the idea Did you do you already have a prototype are you already yet yeah, trying it out on on uh, on humans
3: yeah so so far we have a minimally functional prototype so we have an at-scale distrust that we've that we've developed and meets uh, all the functions that we aim to have them complete and right now what we're trying to do is actually optimize them for manufacturing um, our, uh, our novelty comes from the actual mechanism itself, as Nikita described, and is like a modification of the umbrella mechanism. But one of the great things is that we're actually able to use the same materials that have already been approved by uh, various regulatory uh, agencies, and we're trying to modify it so it can easily go through that manufacturing process um, at as low cost as possible. And by the end of June, we plan to have our intellectual property filed so that we can protect um, our design as well.
0: Uh, more about the challenge. How how would you plan to use the the ten thousand uh, pounds, and how does it integrate into into your, your your future development plans in the next six months?
3: Yeah, um, we're at a really critical stage right now that I mentioned before, where we have a functional prototype. And the big next step is how can we make sure that it's easy to manufacture, start talking to different partners that can help us manufacture it, and then start doing very rigorous testing in preparation for um, going through the regulatory approval process. One of the great things is that um, by looking at previous devices, but these previous devices were from like 15 years ago, because there's been so much stagnation in this field, is that you actually don't need to test it on humans first. because. It poses relatively low um, health risk if you're using the same materials um, and just innovating on the mechanism but we do need to uh, upscale the amount that we're manufacturing so that we can do more rigorous testing and that's what the ten thousand dollars will be ten thousand pounds will be really critical in doing um, because the process that we'd be using is a silicone casting method and that requires pretty uh, significant investment in the beginning but then once you have the casting and the mold you're able to produce a lot uh, at once but I think I'll push it back to the last question there. We you were talking about the team. Uh, we are just representing uh, other members of our team as well. So I think, I think Jason is going to talk a bit about that. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah
2: so I can yeah. talk a little bit about the team. So uh, like we mentioned, all three of us are at Hopkins and the rest of the team. So we started with a total of eight people. We are all at Johns Hopkins studying biomedical engineering. And so one of the things we really loved about our school was the ability to have this hands-on work where it's like we learn all these cool concepts in the classroom like how do you really learn about these concepts unless you put it to work so we're able to apply the things that we learned in the class and apply to real life method of engineering and so our entire team has a really diverse background in various work experiences in healthcare medical device design and the engineering industry so a few of us have had experiences working in commercialization working at Johns Hopkins technology ventures so we work along with technology analysis creating commercial partnerships and licensing deals with different corporations and others, others of us have internet, large medical device companies such as Stryker, So we really got a first hands-on experience with the medical device industry. And then we also have other team members working in healthcare consulting. So then we're really able to understand like the strategy side of the business of creating a startup. And so due to our different diverse backgrounds in the medical device design industry, research and different clinical medicine, we're really well-suited to ensuring the realization of our goals
0: sounds very promising so may i ask how you heard about the the lbs health tech uh, challenge yeah
1: i believe other people from our university have been applying these past years so we we heard from another team who applied okay. yeah yeah good cool.
0: yeah, yeah. The, i i actually saw on the excel uh, sheet where all the the applicants were listed
3: yeah we heard very good things and we're like oh, next year we should apply. And,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were saying that the this field has been stagnating for a long time. So you, I yeah. assume you don't have any uh, modern competitor. Yeah. So we. Sorry. Go ahead, Anthony.
3: Sorry, sure. I'll just I'll just talk about our competitors. I think Makika briefly talked about this before. How mm-hmm. there are currently two major um, types of G tubes available for children ages zero to two and also older children as well that's the balloon and the non-balloon and as she mentioned they do have pretty critical issues including in the balloon the balloon actually pops pretty frequently and the entire device can come out leading to a host of different complications and the non-balloon is actually really painful and super difficult to insert and one of the major things that we want to do with our device is actually allow parents to handle it make it so easy that they could do it at home without having to waste so much time and money and going to the hospital and these devices were developed over a decade ago um, and they are basically scaled down versions of adult tubes and they don't really take into account the special needs for for smaller children Um, and it's been like this for about 15 years so we're really going into a a market that has had no innovation for a really long time we're trying to disrupt that and really try to enhance the quality of life um, that children can have, especially those who are so vulnerable and have to use those G-tubes. Some of our biggest competitors are companies like AMT and Boston Scientific. Mm -hmm. They're the major producers of of G-tubes so far.
1: Yeah, and I mean, 99% of tubes tend to be made by those companies. We recently conducted a nationwide survey into the parent and caretaker population of children with feeding tubes just to see what kinds of tubes they were using and what problems they were facing at home. And we found that 99% of people act Actually, use the balloon button as we said earlier the non-balloon has um, issues that don't make it a suitable alternative to the balloon so while that's the predominant tube our goal is to solve the issues that the non-balloon presents while also addressing the complications of the balloon button
0: okay very interesting and how um more specific question regarding the national market are you planning to enter um state by state or what's your development plan on like a more geographical um focus
2: yeah so i can talk a little bit about that so like kind of what we mentioned before so we're trying to go for a b2b model targeting like the largest pediatric hospitals in the nation so like since this issue is such widespread every single place in across the states has this kind of issue and so we're trying to target the leading pediatric hospitals within each of the regions so starting with the northwest since this is where we're mainly located then going to the West Coast. And then from there, we're going to look into the more of the regulatory issues with expanding to Europe and then attack there as well.
1: Yeah, because okay. fundamentally, this is a global health problem. But we're we're starting regional, because those are where our major partner institutions are.
0: Of course, yeah. OK. And have you, I don't know if this is confidential, but have you um thought already about the pricing of your product? Yeah.
3: Oh, should I go for this? Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. So- Um, so what we plan to do is actually have a very competitive pricing model with uh, the existing g-tubes so far g-tubes have a range they're generally around 150 dollars we plan to initially enter the market at about that price to make ourselves competitive for initial penetration but based on consultation with uh, clinicians they actually think that we can probably price our model higher because one of the major benefits of our model is that it displaces significantly less than existing tubes. So therefore, you won't have to replace them as often. So even if we price them around 200 to $250, we will still be saving parents money.
2: I think Who one thing please? to add on to that is that uh, these devices aren't paid for by the parents. So one of the benefits is a lot of this is come right insurance. So this isn't a cost burden that falls on the
0: parents. OK, this, yeah. Yeah, this one is thing... what I wanted to ask as well, yeah. Sorry.
1: Sorry, no, I'm just going to say one thing to note is that displacement does um, Typically, the cost burden does not fall on parents, but due to displacement, insurance only tends to cover about two tubes per month, I believe, or two to four, depending on the circumstance. And so parents end up spending a lot of -of out-of-pocket money with these complications. So our goal is to eliminate those costs.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, guys. I think that's uh, the end. I don't have any more questions. If you want to add anything, feel free to do so. I I think
1: your questions were pretty comprehensive. Thank you so much for having us.
0: To our audience, thank you again for listening and see you on the 26th of May.
2: Let's go.